You're road tripping to America's best music venues with Kyle Lamont. On this episode, we head to the quiet side of Mount Desert Island for a stroll around Southwest Harbor with jazz musician and film composer Ryan Blotnick. This is ConcertCast, the podcast, an audio atlas filled with music maps, conversations, and discoveries to help you navigate America's soundscape and tune into every state's live music scene. Concert culture is travel-centric, and every venue has a voice. So let us go and listen. Created and hosted by Kyle Lamont. From Bar Harbor, follow Main Street onto Route 3. You'll cut through Eagle Lake Road and momentarily lose all cell service. Take a left, and you'll be in MDI's oldest settlement called Somesville. It was founded in 1781 and is home to one of the most photographed structures in the state, a small white footbridge crossing a little pond. Yes, the description is poor, but based on all the photographers that gather for a certain shot, the image is not. It's a good thing because cell service comes back just in time for you to grab the shot and post a picture of it. Echo Lake is the next big attraction you'll pass on your way into Southwest Harbor. Today, it's mirror-like, reflecting the heavenly fall season that's upon us. Passing this lake means you're almost in the heart of Southwest Harbor, where I'm scheduled to meet up with Ryan Blotnick. But before I do, I make my way to Thurston's, the best place in Maine for a lobster roll, in my opinion at least. If you listened to my fish episode, I told you so. Thurston's is situated on a working waterfront, so dare I say the place is basically lobster trap to table. Succulent lobster meat buried in a toasted and buttered hot dog roll. This is Maine in a bite. Once I'm adequately stuffed, I'm ready for a walk. Luckily, that's exactly what Ryan and I are going to be doing. Strolling Southwest Harbor with his adorable dog, too. I meet up with him in the center of town near Silent City Coffee Shop. I'm Kyle Lamont, and I'm firing up my recorder, untangling my cords. At first, I'm embarrassingly aware that this is a rare sight around these parts. But then I really don't mind because podcasting is life, right? After a few tangles... Maybe I should hold it. Is that better? We'll just do this. Can you maybe wind up the cable and then it'll get dog tangled? We hit our stride. Oh, we both have mics. Cords galore. Cords galore. Cords galore. Just another day in Southwest walking Testing with left. our microphones. Left, right. How would you say that Southwest Harbor is different from Bar Harbor? Um, well, one thing is we don't have cruise ships, and we're not as popular. We're not, we're not the cool kids as much because um, it wasn't really on the map like 20 years ago. But now it's getting pretty busy, as you can see. All these restaurants are full in September, even though the kids went back to school. But yeah, they call it the quiet side. And when I moved here five years ago, it was a lot quieter. And it's still pretty mellow. We turned the corner on Wesley Street, a street neither one of us have been down before. You know, I still try to find new places in the park that I've never been. I'll just take like a random path and be like, wait, what is this? And you find an old path that someone made like 100 years ago, and it takes you to some river, and then you can bushwhack up the stream or something like that. And So for me, it's like constant inspiration just being here. Ryan is from Kennebunkport, Maine, and recently returned back to the state after living in New York City. What made you move to the island? Um, well, a number of things. One of them was just, like, getting burned out on 
certain kind of lifestyle in the city and you know one of my biggest sources of inspiration I think is nature and connection with just you know being in beautiful places and I was kind of missing that in New York and I just didn't at some point I was just sort of like felt like I had lost touch with why I had moved to New York in the first place. So I like sort of the comparison between nature and jazz. How did you gravitate towards jazz? My dad played some guitar and he would play guitar while I was going to sleep. And that was when I started really getting back into music. I said, hey, you got to show me how to play guitar. And sort of the purpose of it was to recreate that feeling of being connected to nature and like in the environment so yeah for me it's like very connected have you ever experienced transcendentalism but while playing music you know where you're channeling something different or you're experiencing you know a, a power greater yeah um well, when you play with really good musicians, sometimes you forget about yourself and what you're doing. And it's almost like they're breathing through you or something, or there's like a collective mind that takes over. We backtrack from Wesley Street and turn right onto Clark Point Road. We walk past a venue and restaurant called Sips. It's located in an old house that was once a Masonic Hall and later a grocery store called Trundy's. When I asked the Historical Society if there were any well-known stories from this time period, they told me with great enthusiasm that one day, out of the blue, a deer jumped through the window. The deer was okay, but a little boy in the grocery store was very shook up. After Trundy's, it was an antique store, and today it's a year-round restaurant with live music. I played here a few nights ago, and I had a really fun solo gig kind of funny like you never know when you're gonna have your great musical moments like the owner Jen said oh do you want to play but like just so you know like it's background music it's for dinner and I said oh that's fine uh, so I like playing in the background too and then I had you have a certain kind of audience where like most people are talking but also appreciating the music and then there's some people that are like just listening to the music that are sort of holding it down but the background noise like actually becomes like my rhythm section and it's kind of chaotic but it's it's also natural like it's human beings talking and enjoying themselves. Sips is so popular they opened a lunchbox spot down the street perfect for picnics on the go. Up next, we head down Clark Point Road and talk about Knock Down the House, a documentary he scored for Netflix. A forager finds a family secret on the forest floor. From producer Kyle Lamont and director Jim Piccarello comes The Mushroom Hunters, a modern-day fairy tale made in Maine on Mount Desert Island. GoodToGoStudios.com to watch the trailer and more. I think one of the biggest accolades, really, and I'd love to just, like, talk a little bit, is composing a right. soundtrack for a huge Netflix documentary. Can you just sort of talk about the backstory and how 
it all evolved and sort of just now that it's all done, like a reflection on it? Sure. Um, well, the backstory is before I was even had any musical training, we had a piano in my house growing up and it was like an old player piano. I would wake up in the morning and go down and play piano like first thing in the morning. I was like an early riser and my brother was a really good storyteller. And so we have these tapes from when we were kids and my brother is like telling stories and I'm musically narrating the story behind him. And, you know, it's just like what you would imagine. It's like, and then a wolf came up and bit the rabbit on the head. And I'm just like, dun, 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 dun. And um, so, you know, that was a big part of like my play as a kid was like, that was like one of the fun things that I could do with my brother. And, and he became a documentary filmmaker and I became a musician. His brother and sister-in-law, named Rachel Lear, documented the grassroots campaign of three major female Democrats. Ryan was brought on to score the documentary. This time, it was kind of like a dream because we mocked the whole thing up on the computer with all the MIDI samples. And then I printed out sheet music for all these great string players and, you know, piano and keyboards and myself recording the guitar stuff and, the, and some bass and um, and then we got to bring it alive you know it felt like like resurrecting the dead like there's something about computer music always feels a little bit you know boxy or square or something and then you get real string players to play something that's super simple I, it was really my first time like really writing string parts except for college, and it was amazingly forgiving. Like, you write unisons, and it just sounds like the most beautiful thing you've ever heard, you know? <laughs> it was a special time for Ryan. I also found out the day before the recording session that I was about to become a father. <laughs> and despite technical difficulties? We were supposed to watch the movie while recording, and we had it all rigged up with the monitoring system and everything. But the, the program that we were recording with didn't accept the format that the video files were in. He kept the faith in his score. I had already, like, mocked up the score in the computer program, so I knew that everything, as long as it was played in time with the metronome, the right metronome setting and everything, then it would match up with the film perfectly. But, I mean, I think in a way it might have been good not to have that security blanket and just be able to focus on the music and the So you were playing music musicians. sight unseen in regards to the movie. Right. But, you know, I always, like, thought about what... I was reading, like, John Cage's book, and... I don't know, I think it was just someone was telling me about how John Cage and Merce Cunningham worked together, and... But they had this sort of theory that, like, music and dance should coexist and they they should be like part of the same creative process but not necessarily like 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 one person does a certain dance move and then the music reflects that um, like they can exist in the same realm but without 
interacting really. It's more just about having the right rhythmic feeling. Like the tempo is super important. Um, there were pieces where I, I would like write a piece of music, send it to Robin and Rachel, and they would come back and be like, this is amazing, but but we took it in the computer program and slowed it down to 66%, and then it works really well. So then I would rewrite it two-thirds of the tempo, and then we'd have it. Or, I don't know, it's just like... And there was other things where the key made a big difference, which, in a way that I... I'm still kind of baffled by, because I don't have perfect pitch, and I hear things, like, pretty relatively, but... Um, Sometimes the difference between something being in like B flat and being in B was like major. Like it would just feel like a different scene. And that was really interesting to me. What was your reaction to everything, especially all the hype and, you know, the political storm, just that, you know, it, like I said, it was just right. good timing when that came out, which is, you know, half the battle with any film. Right. Well... Were you expecting as much publicity or attention and, um, you know, I mean, I what... I kind of got an inkling of it, like, while I was working on the score, because while I was working on the score, things were unfolding really quickly, and AOC was becoming a huge celebrity. And by the time we, you know, got into Sundance, then we were like, okay, like, not only are we in Sundance, but this is going to be one of the biggest films of Sundance because AOC was front page news all the time. So it went from zero to 60, like, really fast. I mean, I, even when I first got started on the project, we already knew that it was, like, a really important story that they had captured. Now that the storm has settled, Ryan is back home, playing local gigs with friends. Like, there's a lot of people that you know, especially, like, musicians around here that I play with that are, like, really supportive and really excited to play with me. And I think because, just because there's so many musicians, I mean, okay, here's another advantage. I try to be, I'm an optimist, so I like to look on the bright side, but um, another advantage of living here is you just get forced into doing a much wider variety of things. And... You're playing with musicians that are younger than you, that are older than you. Like, you don't have the choice to just, like, completely pigeonhole yourself into one little territory of the world. Um, and I think that can be really good for you, especially for, like, just keeping your mind open and making you realize, like, there's more to the world than just whatever. As we walk by one of his friend's house, he's excited to tell me about their future plan. This is my friend Bo's house. Um, we play in like three or four different bands together, and he's got an amazing music studio in the back. And we're working on making it into like, I think the plan is to build a bunch of little practice teaching kind of rooms and then making it into sort of a little community music school for private lessons and stuff but maybe also for somewhere where people could give a recital and have a little bit more of a community 
Like, what is it about jazz that talks to your heart? I think mostly it's like a way of connecting with people uh, in a nonverbal way. I think when I was a kid, I had a really intense imaginary world in my head. And when I, the idea of like converting all of that into language never really made too much sense to me. And when I discovered music, I realized like, oh, there's like other, there's ways of expressing like other kinds of thoughts that aren't expressible in words. And I always had like a really mathematical mind and I was into like patterns and, and jazz was like this really interesting way of like synthesizing that with the other part of the brain. And, you know, you listen to good jazz and they're telling a story, but they're telling it through these shapes and patterns and, you know, all these um, musical words and phrases and stuff. And it's really, I mean, it's just an amazing art form. And the fact that you can go anywhere in the world and play with people that you've never met and make something happen. People you can't even speak to, you don't even have a common language with and you can play music with them. That's really amazing. Even down Easters. Even down Easters. <laughs> Our John Around Town has come to an end. We're back at his 93 Civic, where his guitar and amp are tightly tucked away in the back. I bought it for 500 bucks like 10 years ago, and it's barely needed any maintenance, and it's gotten me to hundreds of gigs. <laughs> I love and it. And it's always still like fun to drive. It looks zippy. Yeah, let's get some pep. And the best part is when you drive it in the city, um, someone will always roll down their window next to you and say, hey, how much for the car, man? We say our goodbyes and I jump back in my ride and take this opportunity to check out Acadia National Park. With Ryan's music as my soundtrack, these windy roads that weave around rocky cliffs and underneath stone bridges, past Jordan Pond and Bubble Mountain, bring me into an enchanting world that is spellbinding. Even though I'm concentrating on driving, I'm in a daze, entranced with all the beauty around me. Autumn in Maine never ceases to amaze. The rhythm of his song matches with the leaves blowing around the road. I feel as if I'm in the music. Before I know it, I'm back in Bar Harbor. I park at the waterfront and walk along the dock. The sun is setting on Frenchman's Bay, and Bean Island is ablaze. If I squint hard enough, like really hard, I see the porch lights on at our home in Sullivan. Next episode, Lamont catches up with Craig Grossi, a military veteran whose inspiring memoir about rescuing a stray dog from the streets of Afghanistan was finished while staying at the Lucky Stone Retreat in Sullivan. Every event, just about every event that I have, every speaking event, I talk about Sullivan and I talk about, you know, how, how I ended up there. So we'll, all, we'll always be, you know, just eternally grateful to that community. There are so many places to stay in Southwest Harbor. At Acadia Yurts, you'll be comfortably close to nature, but not too far from town. And if time permits, see the island by water with Sail Acadia. Ask for Captain Carl and tell him Kyle sent you. 
Subscribe, rate, and review ConcertCast on your podcast app of choice. Type in ConcertCast.live for a music-centric itinerary and to learn how you can be part of the show. And find us on Spotify to listen to our main music playlist. This has been a Good To Go Studios production made in Ellsworth, Maine. Our resident mastermind is Mark Tuckashan. Our editor and engineer is Pete McGill. And special thanks to Ryan Blotnick for the songs Knock Down the House and Beat the Machine. And to Tony Reif of Songlines Recordings for the song Kush from the album Kush. Thank you to Pepper Little, Abby Rock Jessamine, Corey Chandler, Amy Charlie, Emma Timi, Eddie Contento, Jesse Kudo, and thank you for listening.